Well, good morning. It's good to see you all. It's good to see the beautiful fall colors outside. Get out sweaters again. I'm a fan of sweaters. Um, before we open God's Word today, uh, just a quick announcement. Next week, um, most of you know, is a very important vote. And this vote is for anyone who's a part of Caring Community Church, whether you're an official member or not. Uh, for anyone in sixth grade and up can take part in the vote. Um, if you cannot be here next week, the vote will happen immediately after the service. If you cannot be here next week, you can get an absentee ballot today. All right. So Cheryl is back here. Stand there. She's waving. Okay. That was a quick wave, Cheryl. There you go. If you need an absentee ballot, go and see Cheryl. She'll make sure you get the right color ballot. We have ballots for members and ballots for non-members. Your vote counts no matter what, and it affects the outcome of what happens here at the local church. We just need to know the member count because we have to report that to our denominational headquarters, okay? But she'll get you the right color ballot and an envelope. On the envelope, it will say ballot. That's so if you return it by mail, it doesn't get lost in all of the other church mail, okay? And it has a place for your name. We need your name on that envelope sealed so that when those envelopes come back, Cheryl can check, okay, this name is on the list of people I gave ballots to, all right? Those sealed envelopes with your ballot in it are kept secure until the day of the vote, immediately after the vote, Cheryl and... Our vice chairman of the board, Dan Omar, will take those envelopes. I don't know. You guys should probably hold them upside down. But they're to open them without looking at the ballot. They have very specific instructions. And they just open them and they put the ballots in with all the live ballots. Okay? So the absentee ballots get mixed in with the live ballots. And then they all get tallied together. Okay? Is that clear? So if you need an absentee vote... A ballot. We want everyone to get one that needs one. Please see Cheryl, okay? All right. Let's just start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your spirit that is here with us. And we thank you for the gift of your word. And we pray that you will illuminate your word to us. That we will receive it. And it will bear good fruit in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Our scripture passage that we're covering today, I think, is um, one of the most abused scripture passages in all the Bible. I think it has been, in our nation in particular, abused and used to abuse people countless numbers of people. And so when we read it, it is hard to read it without feeling some tension, without your stomach getting knotting up a little bit. But today I want to set aside our cultural bias and read the passage in its context, not picking out little verses, but read it in its context for what it actually says. And I believe that when we do that, and I pray that when we do that, you'll find 
this passage of scripture to be refreshing, maybe even a little healing. Because God's word is meant not to oppress people, but to set people free. Amen. Turn in your Bibles with me to Ephesians 4.29. That's where we're going to start. We're just going to read a little bit from where we left off last week. And then we'll continue to our passage for today. But Ephesians 4.29, the words are not going to be on the screen. That's intentional. Because I want you to get used to reading in your own Bibles. Whether that be a paper Bible or your Bible on your phone. And taking notes in them. There are Bibles in the pews if you, um, and I think most of them have like Ephesians kind of marked with a sticky note or something like that. But, all right, Ephesians 4.29. While you're turning there, I'm just going to do a very quick recap. Last week we studied Ephesians chapter 4, which talks about as a body of Christ, it's not just the good works we do that are important. And those are important. Um, Ephesians 2 tells us God has set aside good works for us to do in advance before we're even born. And we're called to do these things and be a light to the world. But it's not just the good things we do. It's how we do them that makes the real difference. And it's how we treat one another that makes the real difference. I don't know... it. If you've noticed this, but I have felt like many times um, when world leaders try to help and make a difference in the world, they do it by choosing one group of people over another. It's like to help these people, we have to hurt these people. Or to champion the rights of these people, we berate these people. And that's not how we are to act as a body of Christ. So I just want to pick up with where we left off last week. Ephesians 4.29 Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander. Along with every form of malice, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. In the next section of chapter 5, I'm going to come back to next week, but it goes on to talk about how we do not use one another, especially for sexual pleasure. It says that. It says how we do not have to resort to crude jokes and drunkenness to have a good time. Because we don't, we don't need to escape this life. This Zombie life, as Paul describes it in Ephesians 2. This, the life of pursuing just these never satisfied desires. We don't need to escape that because we have life living inside of us. We have the person of life. The spirit of God is a spirit of life and he's in us. And he brings us joy and peace if we let him. Amen. If we let him. So skim down the chapter. 
to verse 18. 5 verse 18. It says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. The Spirit is our source of joy. I remember, I think it was about five years ago, Eric and I, we were at a restaurant in Grand Rapids eating uh, with some friends who are Christians. They're from the Lifestream Wesleyan Church, uh, which is our sister church in Allendale, Michigan. And I don't know if you remember this. We were laughing so hard and just laughing and laughing and laughing. And our waiter thought we were drunk. <laughs> Do you remember it now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we're like, oh, no, we're just filled with the joy of the Lord. And he's like, okay. <laughs> and, um, and throughout the course of the night, I could watch him. He was kind of like over there. And there was a couple other wait staff with him. And they were just kind of watching us, like with these kind of perplexed and amused looks on their faces. And we just had a good time. We just kept laughing. And I was like crying and but they noticed like our jokes were kind. We weren't slamming one another or other people. And we were sharing food and just enjoying one another. And when we got up to leave, we left a good tip. That's part of your witness, by the way. <laughs> we're generous like our Heavenly Father's generous. But when we got up to leave, our waiter said, Man, I need to find some people like you to hang out with. See, how we treat one another, it's a witness. It's so very important. Verse 19, the next verse. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God, the Father for everything. In Christ, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What does it mean to submit to one another? What does submit mean? We have a lot of debate over the meaning of that word. Well, you should know, in the original language in Greek, submit is not the same word as obey. They're related words, but they're not identical. They're not exactly the same thing. I think the Bible gives us one main model of submission and one main metaphor of submission. So before we dive any further into this, I want to talk about that. The main model I I would present to you is the Trinity for submission. That God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit mutually submit to one another. We see this in Scripture. I've broken it down before. I'm not going to get all into it right now. But we see God the Father, he always exalts the Son, right? Gives him the name that is above all names. He does that for the Son. The Son exalts and gives glory to the Father. He also exalts the Holy Spirit and says, listen to the Holy Spirit, he's coming. Right? The Spirit comes, exalts the Son, reminds us of everything the Son has said. They mutually submit to one another. They serve and love and honor and exalt one another. This is our primary model of mutual submission. And it's in that image of God that we are created. We are made to live in communities and families. 
that operate like that. The main metaphor, in my opinion, some of you, I don't know, could send me an email and debate this with me. Uh, but I would say comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which we read last week. You may remember this. In 1 Corinthians 12, it says that all who are followers of Jesus are made a part of the body of Christ. And we have different functions, all of them equally important. And one of us is like an eye and another is a ear or hand. And the eye can't say to the ear, well, because you're not an eye, I don't need you. And the ear can't say to the nose, well, because you're not an ear, I don't need you. You know, we, we need each other. And when we value one another and work together, all of us are healthier. Amen. Right? This is a picture of the body of Christ, how we mutually submit to one another. And I just want to read a couple of those verses, not the whole chapter. I'll have it up here on the screen. And as I read this, I want you just to listen through the filter of mutual submission and what Paul is writing to us when he says, submit to one another. All right? The eye cannot say to the hand... There we go. That's a little better, isn't it? The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable, we treat with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there will be no division in the body. But the parts should have equal concern for one another. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And if one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. This is a picture of the body of Christ mutually Submitting to one another. That when we serve and honor one another, we have to work in harmony with one another. Then we are all built up together. And we all get healthier and more mature. So let's go back to Ephesians 5.21. Paul writes, Submit to one another... Out of reverence for Christ. Now remember, Paul is writing this to a church in the ancient city of Ephesians. Ephesians. Ephesus, sorry. People there were called Ephesians. Um, and this is a church with women and children and men and slaves and slave owners. Slave owners. And Paul writes to them and says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Do you know how radical of a command that is? It's like mind-bending. From the rest of the chapter, you go through verse 22 all the way through 6. Verse 9, chapter 6, verse 9. Paul spells out what submitting to one another looks like. And he has three categories of people that he thinks have a hard time submitting to one another. And so he breaks it down for them. The first category are husbands and wives. The second category are children and fathers. 
And the third category are slaves and slave masters. And while, you know, we can read some of these verses and say, yeah, that makes sense. I can see how wives submit to husbands or children should submit to fathers. Slaves submit to slave masters. Uh, that's kind of yucky. But I like reading it that masters should submit to their slaves. Guys, you can't pick and choose. When he says we must submit to one another, that means everybody to everybody. Some of your Bibles, English translations of the Bible, will will put a divide, a break, between verse 21 and verse 22. Verse 21 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Verse 22 says, wives, submit to your husbands. And they put a break in between there. Guys, there's no break there. You look at the ancient manuscripts, there's no break there. They're clearly talking about the same thing. Submission. And so when Paul talks about husbands loving their wives as Christ loved them and was willing to lay down his life for them, he's talking about how husbands submit to wives. He spends a little more time on that than on how wives should submit to their husbands. Because it's, you know... A little easier for wives to know how they were to submit. It's harder for the men to wrap their minds around how they were to submit. But we can't pick and choose who verse 21 applies to. We have to be consistent in how we interpret scripture. So I want to go through this and how Paul breaks this down. I'm going to start with his most radical application, which is slave and slave masters. I'm going to work my way backwards through this, okay? So let's start with chapter 6, verse 9. I'm sorry, chapter 6, verse 5. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly, as if you were serving the Lord, not men. Because you know that God will reward everyone for the good he does, whether he is slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves the same way. Do not threaten them. Since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with them. When he writes, masters, treat your slaves in the same way. What is the same way he's talking about? It's the same way he just described to the slaves. He said, slaves, treat them with respect and fear and integrity of heart. Obeying them as you would obey Christ. And then he says, Masters, treat your slaves the same way, with respect and fear and integrity of heart, as if you're obeying Christ. Why would a slave master ever fear a slave? He says it in the next verse. Since you know that he, God, who is their master, 
is also your master, and he's in heaven, he sees everything, and God has no favoritism between you and them. In the ancient Roman Empire, one in three people were slaves. Can you imagine the economy, how dependent it was on slave labor? And Christianity is this this fledgling religion with no political power whatsoever. And people are becoming saved and joining the church, including slave owners. And they're in church with their slaves. And we see this pattern where people first get into a right relationship with God, where they respond to the love of God and choose to love God and be part of his body. And then God convicts them to get in a right relationship with each other. It's love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself. John Wesley, who founded our denomination, believed that it was impossible to love your neighbor as yourself until you first love the Lord. And it is our love for the Lord and his work in our lives that empowers us and convicts us and shows us how to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so in the early church, we see slave owners responding first to the love of Christ. And then once they're in the church, starting to get convicted about getting in a right relationship with their closest neighbor, their slaves. And so Paul writes to the church in Ephesus and tells them, hey, you got to treat your slaves like they treat you. In the book of Philemon, which is also in your Bibles, Paul writes to Philemon. He tells Philemon to set his slave Onesimus free. Um, when Paul writes to the church in, in Galatia, this is what he writes. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Sometimes we wish people would clean up their act before they come to know Christ Jesus, but it doesn't work that way. God meets us where we're at. And we, we see this pattern play out through church history. It happened before the Civil War. There was a great revival, the Second Great Awakening. It happened right on the border between the northern and southern states. And as northern people got saved and met black slaves who were going to these revival camp meetings, they began to get convicted. And that conviction led to the Civil War. Happened with the Civil Rights Movement in the 1960s, too. There was a revival led by Billy Graham. And then when people got in a right relationship with God, they were somewhat more ready to hear the courageous message of Dr. Martin Luther King. But over throughout history, we can see this pattern again and again, where people first get in a right relationship with God, and then are convicted to get in a right relationship with each other. And I'm so thankful that God meets us where we are at, but then doesn't leave us there. 
let's read our next section, Ephesians 6, starting verse 1. It's actually the preceding section. Ephesians 6, 1. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. We quote those a lot, don't we? I was taught to quote that when I was a little kid growing up in church. (laughs) I was not taught to memorize the next verse. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Fathers submit to their children by not exasperating them. By knowing and respecting their limits. Um, I've told you how in our family we've moved, and so my kids have been in three different school districts in four years. And so Eric and I made the decision not to move again, at least until they graduate. And that decision not to move until they graduate is particularly for Eric, his way of submitting to our children. Because it's meant he had to work a job that he really did not like for a good year. And and now, thankfully, he's in a better job. And we're very happy for that. But still, not his dream job. And he does that out of love. And a way to serve our children and me, quite frankly, because he knows how much I love our home and I just... Don't want the stress of moving again. I thank you for that. I think. I think um, in his voice, he also doesn't move to take a better job uh, for his mom, who's a widow. And he only wants to be so far from her during this time of life. But that is his way of submitting to the needs of people in his family. Amen. Thank you. And I'm blessed that I have children who love and submit to him. Not perfectly, of course. <laughs> um, but it is their heart's desire, and they really do try. They're serving in the children's ministry right now. Um, and it's my desire, and I try, not perfectly, to love and submit to him as well. Um, I did not apply for the interim pastor job or the lead pastor job without first hearing Eric's heart and making sure he was enthusiastically supportive. And he is. And I'm also blessed to have the support of my children. I talked to them about it as well. But that's a picture of how we submit to one another. All right, let's start back to the beginning of this passage, verse 21, and we'll read through verse 33. That that would be 5, verse 21. Chapter 5, verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, 
So also, wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of the water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. We are are members of his body. And then he quotes Genesis. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. You see, our marriages are to reflect the relationship Christ has with his church. Amen. That is our model. When we read this passage as a whole, and we start with Ephesians 5.21, that says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then we read what comes after it. We, we see all of the words that Paul uses to define submission. He says, respect. He says, love as you love yourself. Love as Christ loved the church. He says, obey, honor, do not exasperate. Treat with respect and fear and integrity of heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you're serving Christ. Do not threaten. No, there is no favoritism. This is how Paul describes how we are to submit to one another. And it's a picture of who we are as the body of Christ. I am convinced that one of our greatest witnesses in the world is how we redeem submission. That we rip up all the cultural notions that submission is about oppression and making people do what we want because we know what's best. Submission is about the character of God. We submit to one another as the Father and Son and Holy Spirit submit to one another. Working together in perfect unity, each caring for each other. And uplifting and honoring one another. I think one of the biggest lies of our culture today is that you become happy and fulfilled by pursuing your desires. That if I do what I want, then I'll be happy. And so I just have to chase my dream. I just have to, well, this is what I feel like, so this is what I'm going to do. i got to be true to myself. If we live... In a society where everybody's chasing their own dreams, realize there's no way to do that without putting other people down. 
There's no way to put your dreams and your desires first without putting other people down. And as we live in a society that thinks the goal is just to chase your own dreams and fulfill your own desires, we live in a society where everybody is putting each other down and we all lose. The way you win is to love people and put them first. And be in a family and in a community where they do that for you too. And so we are all loving and serving and uplifting each other. And in that way, we build up each other. As Paul describes being built up in the body of Christ. That is where our fulfillment comes from. The world can't see Jesus Christ. But they can see us. We're the body of Christ. And the way we treat our spouse, the way we treat our children, our parents, the way we treat people of different classes and ethnicities should look radically different than what people are used to seeing in the world. The way we mutually submit to one another is a light to the world illuminating the character of Christ. That's what this is about. So when you look at one another, and he says submit to one another as in reverence to Christ. So when you look at one another, see Christ in each other. See the image of God in one another. And respond to that. We have a habit of of seeing each other's failings and shortcomings. And responding to those. I was listening to a podcast this week that talked about how our society values people for what they produce. Don't be like that. Don't value your spouse for what they can do for you. Don't value your children for how well they can produce or your aging parent or people who come from a different sector of society. Look at your spouse and see the image of God in him and her. Look at your child and see the image of God in him or her. Look at one another See the image of God in each other and submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Because we are the body of Christ. Amen. Why don't you pray with me? Holy Spirit, we just want to invite you to speak to us now. This is a tough message. But Holy Spirit, we just open our hearts and I think of scripture that says, search me, O Lord, and see if there be any offensive way in me. 
Lord, I, I pray you show us where we have only valued a person for what they can produce. Maybe it's someone very near to us. A neighbor as close as a family member. Maybe it's a co-worker. Maybe it's not a specific person, but a category of people. Cleanse us, O Lord. Help us to see people as you do. Yet I pray right now you'll begin to show us and help us to see the image of God in that person we've been devaluing. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us. Make us clean. Give us your eyes. And teach us how to submit to one another out of reverence for you. Keeping our eyes on you and who you are. So that we may love and honor and serve one another as you do. If you love and honor and serve us. And we think of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and how you love and honor and serve and exalt one another and we say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty for there is none like you. And we praise you for who you are, God, and we thank you for making us in your image, in the image of the God of love. And we pray that you would restore that image in us, Lord. And you would restore it in us not only as individuals, but also as a body, God, that together we would image you to the world. And to one another. We pray these things in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.